Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Growing up as a 90s kid, the biggest show in town, of course, was Friends. I'll never forget actually trying to tape the series finale, and it came out in black and white. I was devastated. Now, tapes for all the young ones. It's an ancient technology that's been lost to time, and you can thank the heavens that you don't have to work with it. But, uh, you know, Friends was where it was at. And one of the pivotal moments, classic episode in Friends was the couch episode, of course, where Chandler and Ross and Rachel, they're trying to get this couch that Ross had bought up this tiny flight of stairs. And as they're grunting under the weight of this couch, Ross in this irritating voice just keeps on yelling at them. And he says, pivot, pivot, pivot. You know, in other words, turn. And eventually Chandler just can't take it anymore. And he just shouts up and he says, shut up. Now, I want to tell you, as a church, we have had to pivot quite a couple of times over the last couple of months. And we had plans for the beginning of this year, replant, organizational dreams. We're moving forward with this church plant. And then, of course, things happen. But it's been so amazing. Jesus is so faithful to his church. As we just came before God and just said, God, lead us, guide us in this moment. How do we pivot in this season, we've been feeling so strongly, God just leading us toward this place of saying, this is not an organizational moment. This is a personal moment. This is a moment for the church to be a missional community filled with missional individuals who will commit to belong to the family of God week to week, engage with family, and who will actively go on mission together. And so we felt God saying it's a season to move from replant to real Christianity, to real Christianity. What does it look like when real people with real faith in a real life situation have to get to this business of following Jesus, loving people and making an impact in their world? And so today, and we don't know for how long actually, for an undefined period of time. We'll probably take a break here and there, but we have felt led to dive into the story of the early church, the book of Acts. And this is one of the most challenging and one of the most beautiful, one of the most engaging narratives in all of the Bible. It tells the messy and engaging story of the early church of real Christianity. And I want to say, let's not speak just about aiming in this season. Let's actually shoot. Because what the the city needs, what the country needs right now, what it needs from us is not just a, a church, a young church who's looking to organizationally plant in the city, but a young church who will, for Jesus, actually move in the city, who will take up the challenge, who will step up into real Christianity. So what is it that actually moves us as a church? So over the holiday time, I read a book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he opens the book with a heart-wrenching story. A good friend of his, he works in one of the most down-and-out parts of Chicago in the U.S. And this friend tells the story. He says, once a prostitute came to me in a wretched strait, homeless, sick, 
unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. And through sobs and tears, she told me how she had been renting out her daughter to men interested in sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her story. For one thing, it may be legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what I was going to say to this woman. And at last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. And I'll never forget the lack of pure, naive shock that came across her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I'm already feeling horrible about myself, she said. They would just make me feel worse. Friends, it's when the church forgets that we are the result of the grace of God being brought together out of brokenness and death and sin and being placed in the midst of a broken city crying out for spiritual and physical help. It's then when the church just becomes a dead institution and people say, the church, why would I ever go there? And this is not how it started, friends. The church, in its essence, from the beginning, was a movement. It's a movement based on not just some value or some teaching, but it was based around what? A person called Jesus, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, his kingdom. It was based around him. In fact, that Greek word ecclesia that we call the church, it's these two words. It's called and out of. We are the called out ones, called out of sin and brokenness and death, called around the family of Jesus and the mission of Jesus in the city. But a terrible thing happened. And we see this kind of apexing in the the Middle Ages where people more and more stopped seeing the church as a movement And it more and more became just a place. It became a building. It became a moment, an institution that was dead. And the challenge for every single generation of the church, the the pothole that we have to sidestep is that we would cease to be a movement and we would simply become a service that people just, just take from, that we would become a moment in the week that people just partake in. No, movements move. And the question for you today is, if you are part of the Jesus movement, the church, are you being moved at the moment? Real Christianity. That's the question for us as Dr. Hatfield. This is not an organizational moment. This is a deeply personal city changer, disciple of Jesus moment. And the question is this, Are we just waiting for a place that we can attend or are we a movement and are you actively, personally involved? Are you weekly engaging with the family of Jesus and are you weekly taking responsibility for the mission of Jesus? What moved 
the early church. Let's read together. Open up your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, I wrote the first narrative, O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you, and this is the promise, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, this is where it all began. And 2,000 years later, here we are. The greatest movement in the history of the world. And it started with just a couple of fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors. And my question is, what is it that animated, what moved this ragtag group of nobodies to become the greatest force for good in the history of the human race? And just two things for us today that I want to show us. The first thing, what moved the church? Are you being moved today? It's this, the message of Jesus captured their hearts. And my question to you is this, has it captured Yours. Has it captured yours? You see, the early church was convinced that Jesus was not just a teacher or a good man. He was not just, you know, a religious choice that you could make. Or he was just, you know, some moral philosopher or something like that. No, they believed that he was God himself that he was the savior, the one who came to redeem us from the enemy, from sin, from death, from brokenness. But he was also the king, the one who came to announce the commissioning of God's kingdom into eternity starting today. And so they believed in him. But it's true that us, you know, humankind, we crucified him. God coming to us, why? Because our sinful hearts decided we would rather serve ourselves. We would rule ourselves much more than wanting to serve under this loving God, the creator. But in probably the greatest bit of cosmic irony, I guess the world has ever experienced, that death that we committed against him, this sacrificial death on the cross, it was the very thing that brought us redemption and life and forgiveness. So this early church, they gave their full allegiance to Jesus, the Savior and the King. Why? Because they had seen the resurrected Jesus after the sacrificial death of his on the cross. They saw him with their own eyes. And so they knew if this is the truth of what God did in Jesus, there has never been a greater act of grace, of unmerited 
favor, God pouring it out on us. You know, in this week, I was listening to an interview of My Chemical Romance's lead singer, Gerard Way, and he was being asked by this person, what's your thoughts on religion and faith? And he said, the only memory that I have as a young boy of church, of Christianity, is one word, fear. It's fear. He said, week by week, they would hear that if they did not act in a moral way, if they were not good people every single day of their life, they would burn in hell forever. How far does the church drift from its message about the good news of the kingdom of Jesus, of the Savior and the King? But it's so interesting in this interview, right at the end, the interviewer asked him, but tell me anything in your life that stirs you with its beauty. What's the most beautiful thing that you've experienced in life? And this absolutely secular singer, he says, the thing that most stirs me to this day is the act of forgiveness. The act of forgiveness, and that is at the very core of the Christian message. And the early church knew this is the most important message in the history of the world. Why? Because it is the only hope that we have. It's the only hope that they had, that our city has, that your friend, your neighbor, your father, your husband has. And they couldn't keep it for themselves. No, friends, if there was any way the early church knew any other way but for Jesus to go to the cross, would God not have done that? That's why Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, if this cup, if there is no other way, let this cup pass from me before his death. In other words, drinking the fullness of our sin and our death and our brokenness. But there was not. No, Jesus taught his disciples I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And they believed him. We're going to see Peter. We'll read a whole bunch about him in this this record of the early church. But he summarizes in Acts 4 this message for us when he says in verse 12, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It was Jesus. You see, the early church was so gripped by this message because in Jesus, they saw a God that was so beautiful, so glorious, that he would come and that he would give of himself for us. And they thought that this God, his glory, his message, his kingdom, it deserved to be taken to the very edges of the earth. I mean, think about it. These men and women, they had seen Jesus with their own eyes. They'd seen him command the storms, converse with angels, control demons, walk on water, heal lepers, feed thousands, even raise people from the dead. But the hour, the moment that he most needed that power, that authority, what did he do? He set it aside to take up your cross and my cross so that we would find new life in him. And the early church said that kind of God, that beautiful and glorious kind of God we have found in Jesus. His name needs to go to the ends of the earth. 
And when they were dragged before the authorities and they said to them, listen, you better stop speaking about this Jesus or you are going to be killed. What did they say? They said, listen, then you will have to do what you have to do. But we cannot stay silent about the Savior and the King. His message, His life, His teaching, His kingdom has gripped us. The cost that they had to bear, it was more than worth it. You know, a young man's life that has challenged me so deeply over the last couple of years is an ex-Muslim named Abil Qureshi. And unfortunately, two years ago, he died. He passed away from stomach cancer at the age of 34. He's just two years older than I am. And this man so challenged me because he came from a staunch Muslim background. He's a razor sharp intellect. He was studying to be a doctor and he tells this incredible story of coming to radical faith in Jesus. And one of the chapters in his autobiography, it's titled simply, The Cost of Clinging to the Cross. The cost of clinging to the cross. Why? Because for him, like so many people in the world today, outside of the comfort of the the kind of westernized world, even here in Africa, if you become a Christian, you are cut off from family, from friends, from inheritance, from, from sustenance, from everything that was your life. But he took it with a smile because this Jesus is so great. One of our friends, they came to say hello over the holiday time and and they tell of in their small group in their church in the Western Cape, uh, there's an engineer and his wife. I mean, this guy is not, he's not a pastor. He's not some full-time paid evangelist. But they say that his faith after 10, 20 years of following Jesus is still such a fire burning in his heart that when they go to eat something together at a restaurant, usually they end up having to go in without him because he's still in the parking lot just speaking to people about Jesus. An engineer, professional man gripped by the message of Jesus. And my question to you is this. Do you believe this testimony? Do you believe this testimony to such an extent that you are willing to give up everything for it? To give anything in service of it? You know, when I was younger, we used to mush to this Christian grunge band. If you knew that that was a thing, they had a song, DC Talk, and it was called Jesus Freak. And the song simply asks this in its pivotal line. It says, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? Are you a Jesus freak or just a Sunday Jesus fan? Is it just a hobby that you pick up every now and then? Or is this the the greatest treasure in your life? There is no such thing in the book of Acts as someone who accepts Jesus in faith, his finished work on the cross, his coming kingdom as Lord and Savior, and then just sits on the sideline. It doesn't exist. No movements move. And the question is, if you are part of the Jesus movement, are you still being moved in this season? Are you still being captured by the message of Jesus? And the second thing, what moved the early church? Not just that the message of Jesus captured them, but the Spirit directed their lives. 
The Spirit directed their lives. And my question to you is this, is He directing yours? Is He directing yours? Go back to verse 1 with me. Acts 1 verse 1. I wrote the first narrative. Now, what is he speaking about here? Uh, the Luke, the one of the, of the early followers of Jesus. He was a doctor. He was a learned man. He was an educated man. He wrote these two works. He wrote the gospel according to Luke, one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then he wrote the sequel. So you have Batman Begins and you have The Dark Knight. He wrote The Dark Knight of the book of Luke called the book of Acts. It's the story of what happened after Jesus was resurrected. And so he says, in my first narrative, O Theophilus, this is the guy he's writing to, who is he? And he was an affluent skeptic. And so the doctor, Luke, he's writing with passion so that this man would also come to know Jesus. And what does he say about that first volume, the book of Luke? He says, in it, I write all about Jesus and what, what? He began to do and teach. He began to do and teach. So what is that implying? There's a continuation of the work of Jesus. It's not that Jesus, you know, was working and now the church is working, that Jesus was working in Luke and now the church is working in Acts. No, it's that Jesus in his fleshly body was working in the gospels. And now through his spiritual body, the church, he is continuing the work. So Act 1 verse 8, he tells these early disciples, he says to them, wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can imagine some of these young disciples, they were probably type A personality, some of them. So when, when Jesus commissioned them to go with this message, they were like, okay, guys, let's do this. Let's, you know, let's set up a, an online course and let's get a, 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 a Pinterest board ready for just slogans with the church and let's launch this whole campaign. And Jesus says, wait. Wait, why? Because you have to be filled with the power and the presence of God, my spirit. What was he trying to say? He was showing them, you are not going to do something for me. I am going to continue doing something through you. In fact, in every single chapter of the book of Acts, you're going to see that it's actually the Spirit animating the people, the Spirit directing the people, moving the people. He is the one that's working. They were simply submitted to Him. And my question to you is this, are you submitting the fullness of your life to the Spirit, to His leading? Because the reality is the book of Acts, it doesn't actually have an ending. A traditional kind of ending. In the last chapters, we're going to get to it someday. You'll see Paul is on his way to the city of Rome. And he, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to, is he going to turn a whole bunch of people to faith in Jesus? Is he going to die? What's going to happen? And it just ends right there. On a cliffhanger. I mean, that's like, you know, Netflix, they have perfected the art of the cliffhanger at this point. Shay and I, we just got into the Queen's Gambit and yeah, there's some saucy bits in that series, but they are so good at leaving the last 10 seconds with, oh, what's going to happen? But that's how the book of Acts just ends. Why? Because it's making the point that the movement had just gotten going. It wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. In fact, you and I, 
If Acts ends in chapter 28, we as the church, the last 2,000 years, we are. Chapter 29 and 30 and 31, we are the continuation of the work of Jesus in this city through his spirit. So Jesus follower, I ask you, if you are a Jesus follower here today, you have to put your name and your life into this promise that Jesus gives. Acts 1 verse 8, but you put your name in there. The Mares, the Sebaquanes, the Constantinides, the Caldamans, put your name in there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A witness is not someone who primarily is doing something. They are primarily relaying, telling of what has been done. What Jesus accomplished now becomes the very story of my life. Are you being directed by the Holy Spirit today, real Christianity in a country that needs it? Because just really quickly, there are two ways that you can know that you have been filled. And you'll see in Acts, Paul actually says we need to be continually filled by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the first is the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to speak about it today. But all over the New Testament, it says that every single, not an elite few, you know, the green berets of the Christian faith, but every Christian has received a gift from the Holy Spirit. And the through line with all these diverse gifts is this. It's meant to take the kingdom of God forward every single day. So my question to you is this. Is this your life? Are you using the gifts and the finances and the personality and the opportunities and the vocation and the friendships that you have every single day, supernaturally just natural, just taking the kingdom of God forward, taking people one step closer to Jesus, bringing one more square centimeter of the kingdom into this broken world. You know, we need, probably need to think about this like, a fire crew, you know, like the fire department. I saw the other day in News 24 that some poor Jovic man, his Porsche and his Land Rover just burned to a crisp because when he phoned the fire department, they were just closed. I don't even know that could happen. So don't think of that, but think of an effective team that, that, that comes to your doorstep. You don't see that whole group. You know, they're all grabbing the hose. They're all wanting to do that. They're all fumbling over one another, trying to climb up the ladder. No, each of them is playing their role. One is connecting the machine to the water. One is working the panel. One is working with the people. One is climbing up the ladder. One is taking an axe and breaking down the door. They all have their role to play as a team, adding what God has given to them for the mission. Is this your life? What has God given you? And the second thing is this, what we see the Spirit empowering people. They speak. They speak of Jesus. In fact, almost every single time you're going to see in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit fills someone, what do they do? They speak of Jesus. When you are filled with the Spirit in here, it does something to your mouth up here. I cannot but speak about Him. 
What the city needs now is not a silent church or a church that's, that's consumed and distracted by weird prophecies and, and, and end time theories and conspiracy issues. No, we have to be passionately speaking about Jesus in everyday life as you hobby, as you play, as you work in your family, between your friends, not in a weird way, not a 10 point plan, but speaking about the hope that you have. Every time the Holy Spirit fills someone, they are speaking about Jesus. And we can have all the excuses in the world, friends. I have them very often. But guess what? We already so naturally just speak about things that we are passionate about. That series, that the music, the, the, the video, the movie that you've been watching, that recipe, that restaurant that you've gone to, that experience you had, that girlfriend, your business idea. We speak to people about things that we are impassioned by. A movement moves. Are you moving at the moment? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said, the famous English preacher. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it in your child's ear. You'll tell it to your husband. You will earnestly be imparting it to your friend. Even without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of a sweet life. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you like the one that has found Honey, you will call others to taste of its sweetness. Do I speak under the presence and power of Jesus every day about who he is? Friends, this is not a technique issue. This is a passion issue. This is an apathy issue. Has the message of Jesus moved you recently? Has the spirit of God moved you recently? Real Christianity. Dr. Hatfield, it's time for each and every one of us to say yes to real Christianity. And so the next couple of weeks are going to be much more intentional rhythms of care and connect, but also of accountability. So three things just to take note of. The first is we are going to much more regularly phone you and connect with you and not just so that we can care and so that we can find out and so that we can support, but also to keep you accountable. What is God doing in you and through you at the moment? And secondly, we're not going to ask politely, but we are going to lead every single person in Hatfield to connect in small groups of three and to meet together, whether it's online or whether it's safely in a coffee shop. Don't allow the church to become some abstract, distant memory in your mind. Let it be a people that you are passionately serving Jesus with. And thirdly, we are going to go out. We want to serve the schools and the hospitals of our city. And as the whole of Doxedo Twane, all 12 campuses, we are currently looking at serving more than 50 hospitals together. Friends, a movement moves. And the question is, are you being moved by the message of Jesus and the Spirit of God at the moment. And when the city cries out to us, the church, why would I ever go there? We are going to say, no, you do not have to come to us because of our belief, our conviction that Jesus is the truth teller and the kingdom bringer and the the sin destroyer. He is the truth and the life. We are going to come to you. It's time 
for real Christianity. Amen.